This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome to NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this first of three episodes, Kathy speaks to Emily Molnar, Artistic Director of Ballet BC, the day after the company's return to the National Arts Center's Southern Hall stage following a 10-year absence. Emily recalls her early dream of becoming a prima ballerina, her training at the National Ballet School, and her subsequent four years at the National Ballet of Canada, where she was discovered by William Forsyth, commissioned by the National, to create the second detail. At 21, Emily relocates to Germany to dance with Frankfurt Ballet. She describes the intense learning curve she faced and the incredible experience of working with William Forsyth, its famous artistic director, at a time when his company is taking the world by storm. Emily Molnar, welcome to the National Arts Centre. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you very much for having me, Kathy. It's a pleasure. It's great. You know, we've had you here. I'm sure you've danced on our stages before. I have um, a number of times, and I have to say it's just been an absolute joy being back. It's it is the center of dance for us here in Canada. It's oh, wonderful. That's so great to hear. Thank you very much. It was wonderful to have Bally BC here on our season this year. Great performance. We will get to talking about that. I wanted to go back and let our audience know where you come from, who you are, and how you got into this wonderful milieu. Tell us about, you grew up in Regina, right? Yes, I was born in Regina. Um, I think I, it's not an unfamiliar uh, history as far as how I was connected to dance. I think I had a lot of extra energy and was popping around the, the living room quite a bit. And my grandmother said, put her into some dance classes. And I <laughs> I found uh, creative dance when I was around five, and then I found ballet when I was six. And I bought my supposedly, I only heard this story as of recent from my mother that I was involved in purchasing my first pair of point shoes at seven. And uh, as most people know, you're not supposed to be on point until you're 10. And, and she I, only told you this story recently? Yes. And, and what, I, what made her tell you the story? Oh, I don't know. It was, I was saying something about how stubborn I am. And she said, uh, well, I guess I never told you this, but you were the one who actually went and bought it. And so it, now it makes sense to me. But That's funny. And I had this lovely Russian teacher who said, if you're going to put yourself on point, then I, I better train you. So at seven, I was on point. And by the time I was 10, I was auditioning for the National Ballet School. And um, had the pleasure of graduating from that school when That's I was amazing. 16. Yeah. Do you remember much about what was going on in Regina at the time? Do you remember there being a dance scene besides your local school? Well, there was a Saskatchewan Youth Ballet, which still exists. And at the time that I was there, it was it was founded by two lovely Russian um, individuals. And now it's gone more into a, a more contemporary modern school. But a lovely, there was a youth dance company connected to it. So we were performing on a regular basis. But our primary exposure to dance was the Center for the Arts. And it was when the National Ballet of Canada came through or the Royal Winnipeg. So, and it was reading the book, seeing things on TV. That was really my exposure. It's, I think it's gotten, it's gotten more now today, but it was few and far between. So, and as, as a young girl, I, I spoke with Karen Kane during one of these podcast interviews mm. a long time ago, and we spoke about this as well. As a young girl, you do this audition for the National mm. Ballet, and you get in, mm-hmm. and you have to leave home. 
Yes. And you're 10 years old. Is yes. that what happened to you? Well, I had a bit of a, it's, I guess it's a bit of an example of the history of my life or when I look back. I, I auditioned when I was nine because you can get into your first, it's in grade five is when it starts. So I was trying to get into, to, for I would be 10 years uh, old. And I auditioned and I did not get into the summer school because the way the school works is you audition for the summer school. They take, they audition about a thousand kids. A hundred make it into summer school. Out of the hundred, there are maybe 20, 25 that get into the, the regular school year. And then you audition, have to re-audition or be re-accepted each year. So I did not make it through into summer school, my first audition. And I guess, again, something that my mother told me much later on was that I phoned to find out why that was and what I was supposed to work on. And I think if they had told me, you know, my feet were terrible, I would have believed them. But I think I was told that my thighs were too developed. So that made me kind of question. I thought, yes, thighs were too developed. But I think I guess that they could they could see that. So all I thought is I I better work. I better work um, some more. And I pushed forward and the next year I auditioned and I did get into the summer school and ironically enough I was being tested um, 10 days into the summer school and they actually ended up elevating me a grade which was lovely and I was accepted within 10 days so um, I guess that year away was helpful and I had a wonderful time I was really those years I was exposed the one of my first performance experiences with the National Ballet School was with Rudy Van Danzig who was the director at the time of the Dutch National Ballet and Every year at the end of the year, there'd be a, a season finale or spring season, a s- spring showcase. And Rudy didn't want to work with the senior dancers. He wanted to work with the younger dancers. So um, in grade seven, I had my first exposure to working with a, a choreographer. And I knew at that time when I was around 12 that that would be my interest, being able to actually work um, side by side with the creation of, of movement invention, of the development of a vocabulary, of that responsibility and that ability to take my technique and push it forward. Just it, it just was a light that that turned on. And then after that, I got to work with people like John Elaine when he was first starting to choreograph and then became the resident choreographer. So, but that was at twelve. That's so very interesting. And mm-hmm. at the same time, you were taking mostly ballet. Yes. Oh, so and dancing. You know, like the end of the year leads. You know, Odette and Swan Lake. So it was this kind of. That's the wonderful thing about the school is that we had these. We had this immense training um, within the different uh, within classical ballet, but then also. Was the dream world. primarily to be that ballerina? To Absolutely, be really. Nice. Absolutely, that's, that's quite interesting when you when you think of a twelve year old, well, as, as you say, six and seven year old, mm-hmm. having that aspiration. Mm-hmm. Did did that feel within reach to you into your early teenage years as well? I think yes, it did. I mean, and I was certainly being groomed for that. I was dancing a lot of the leads in the classical work. Um, Reed Anderson offered me a job when I was in grade eleven. Um, with the National Ballet of Canada, and I said I'd like to finish my academic training. But then when I got into grade 12, I was doing the lead in Bayadere. And, um, you were doing the lead in Bayadere with, with the a, National no, Ballet with, School? with the school, right. yes. To be clear. And uh, so it was, it's, it's, it's at the end of the year, then they, offer, they either offer jobs to, this, to the students or not. And I thought, well, if I had gotten into grade 11 and I had been given this, this job, that perhaps that would be there in grade 12. But that's not the way it turned out. It was actually offered to two of my colleagues before myself, who are Rebecca Rimsay and Greta uh, Hodgkinson, who are still dancing of with the course, National Ballet. Who, who we do get the opportunity to see yes, on, and, uh, on many occasions. Yes. What was that like for you? It was, it was, it was, um, well, they were, are, they are tremendous performers, and I could totally understand that decision. It was hard for me because I thought, oh, you know, maybe my chance is gone. But um, again, as life would have it, it was a month into being an apprentice with the National Ballet of Canada, and I was 16, about to turn 17, and William Forsythe came to do his first creation ever with the National Ballet of Canada, which became the second detail. And I guess he was watching a Don Quixote rehearsal and uh, some of class, and he said, um, 
I, the next thing I knew, I was getting a contract because he wanted uh, he wanted to work with me. So that was my first opportunity with the National Ballet of Canada was getting to dance in the second detail. <laughs> That's great. So you yeah. did get to dance with Forsyth, and yes. then of course Forsyth later on with Frankfurt Ballet. Yes, when brought I, you to Frankfurt. Yeah. Now to just um, to go back a couple of steps. Of course, John Elaine um, came in to the National Ballet and mm. later became the director of Ballet British Columbia. Yes. Reed Anderson was the director of the National Ballet of Canada. These are still people, of course, who were in the field, people mm. that you have contacts with. Mm. Um, so at the time, I mean, I'm just sort of thinking genera- generationally, mm. at the time, you're also really absorbing so much as as a young person does, and you're mm. learning about these roles and this world. I think for a lot of us, that world seems very foreign and very insular and mm. somewhat disconnected. And we've talked to a lot of ballet dancers about that. And how do you stay kind of connected to the real world? Or is it really mm. a world unto itself? Do you remember back to that, how that felt? Well, I remember a lot of different, it's, it's a wonderful question. It's, uh, I think probably each person you speak with will have a different perspective. Something that really pulled my attention at a very young age was as an artist, a, being a part of the live performing arts, that in order to step on a stage and speak to a number of individuals, to have an audience of two and three thousand, which we have in the ballet world, I felt that was a tremendous responsibility. And so at a very young age, I was questioning what exactly it means to have an audience. And um, it really was important to me to understand that I was developing as a human being as well as a dancer and that I could see how someone could be a very great performer but maybe not necessarily be emotionally at the same evolution. And so it it became very um, important to me to understand um, what it meant to be an artist in in our society. So I think, yes, the dance world is small in the sense that globally we all know each other because we all are aware of what each other are doing. We're very supportive. But it's so community-based in the sense that we require an audience. So in that way, I think we're not insular at all because we are this live performing art that depends on an audience being there, that depends on sharing that moment. It's completely ephemeral. I find it fascinating that with dance, like a Buddhist painting, that they take hours to put these sand paintings together and then blow them away and, and give them over to the universe. Dance is like that too. It disappears. The, what it's, it's archived in us in that moment with an audience. That's the history, our experience of it. It's not documented. Even when you try to videotape it, it's not the same experience. So I find it, yes, for a lot of people, and now with my job at Ballet BC, I mean, I get a lot of questions about the abstraction of dance and what exactly it is. But I think dance is one of the primary things we first movement and sound we attach ourselves to at the very beginning of time and um, of our of our lives that it's a language that at first doesn't necessarily connect logically. It's a, a sensory language. And so I think it's for all of our, um, you know, I think about Black Swan, the wonderful film that, you know, not every ballet dancer lives with their mother and, and on all those wonderful things. We're, we're very passionate as dancers because we use our body as our instrument. Everything about us is required in the moment that we go into that act of creation. So yes, it's insular because I think it's very intimate, but I don't, I I think it's, um, but I think it's also very, very much about sharing with the community. But you're speaking now with the wisdom of an adult and someone who's had an incredible career. I'm just trying to get a sense of how you could have possibly understood that or been mature enough to make those kinds of decisions at the age of 14, 15, 16. I mean, were your parents artists? Were they at Mm -hmm. all, were they guiding you? I mean, I'm also thinking of you being how many thousands of kilometers away from the time when those kinds of things are mostly 
given to us from our parents. Dance, as in I think a lot of musicians, I mean, it's not uncommon that a 10-year-old knows that they want to be a dancer. It just, it's, it sparks you at that age. What that, how that happens, I think is, it's just a gift that I think a person is given. I know I want that as a vocation. I want to be that. So you already find these very driven individuals at such a young age. But I, I, but again, it, it's very personal. I, I did have that feeling of that responsibility. Yes, I'm now much older, but I think I I did feel the pressure of the fact that I needed to say something with what I was doing. Um, yeah, I think that always... Uh, my parents... My father played for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Did so, he? Yeah, what so, position did he play? Yeah, uh, fullback. Oh, my God. Yeah. And That's so, serious. It's serious, yeah. <laughs> he... Um, so my, but he was an engineer at the same time because at that time with professional football, you were playing half the year and then you had to have another profession the other now, half. Tell our listeners what his name was. Uh, Steve Molnar is. I yeah. should say yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so he was so for, the, for those Saskatchewan Rough Riders fans. fans out yes. there, yes, you probably know Steve Molnar. <laughs> it was. Um, so I had this, you know, and my mother actually, ironically, had had danced in her background, uh, not professionally, but she actually was at the University of Utah during the period of time when John Cage and Merce Cunningham were teaching. And so she had some exposure to that whole kind of realm of modern dance. And they still today have an incredible dance program, both a contemporary department and a, a, a classical department. So my mother had a bit of that kind of history in her, but neither one of them were professional artists. But there was absolutely a sense of creativity. There was that sense of direction of athleticism. All of my family were very much athletes. So there was an appreciation for that. But still, when I was graduating from the school, um, there was some discussion from my family that I should, from my father, I think, that I should be going to university. I think it was still a, and this is not uncommon, that um, I think a lot of our parents think, can you really make it as an artist? Will you be able to do this? And um, I think now he's absolutely, there's no question, he's um, he's completely supportive and, uh, and loves the art form. I, I mean, I don't blame parents for worrying about that because it is a very volatile field and you know, I mean, look at the numbers that you were just telling us about the National Ballet auditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a number of kids who have ballet as a dream or mm-hmm. even contemporary dance as a dream. And not a lot of people really mm-hmm. rise to the top. I mean, yeah. we see that in the sports world as well. Yeah. How many of our kids who are out there playing hockey every day are yeah. really going to make it to, to the big leagues? Yeah. Not, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then I also think that that commitment to trying to be, uh, that commitment to excellence, that commitment to do something that you love, you know, it's worth at least at least giving it everything you have. And so I, I think statistically they say that gymnastics and ballet specifically are quite, are one of the hardest professions to excel at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's incredible support from your parents and obviously your family. It is. I mean, in the National Ballet School is also, I mean, it was, you're never turned away from that school because of financial inability. So, I mean, at the time that I was going to the school, I would not have been able to afford it had there not been the type of financial support that that school is able to to offer children. And I love that we have a school such as that or the Royal Winnipeg that are really about um, giving the talented, uh, talented young individual the opportunity first and foremost. And it's not about... Um, income. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to William Forsythe. Mm. Huge, huge figure in the world of contemporary ballet, mm-hmm. even today. Yeah. Uh, we've had recently the great opportunity of seeing Ballet BC perform mm-hmm. one of Forsythe's works. There you are, a young teenager. Bill Forsythe comes to town. I mean, we're talking sort of probably at the time when his company he was running Frankfurt Ballet. His company was really just taking the world by storm under yes. his leadership. So take me back to that time period. So I was, yeah, so I was almost 17, and I remember Bill, so in the, that, that making of the second detail, 
um, it was this phenomenal moment that I had had this this training in class in classicism, and I had already kind of played with working with choreographers. But Bill had this incredible way of distracting you from the obvious and creating these doors of, of, of possibility where you just, you surprised yourself. And I remember him saying once, you know, what interests me is not when you walk, it's what happens when you fall. And, Beautiful um, quote. <laughs> and, and that's when I, and I, I, I knew, knew working with Bill that there was this... Um, he still today just excites me so much and is such a huge inspiration. He's a man that continually takes risk, constantly is learning. And when we were in the studio, he, his, he allowed us to be very independent with our approach and he wanted us to be individuals. And through that, and, and take a tremendous amount of responsibility. So at the National Ballet, already walking into a company that's not necessarily his, he was already giving that type of freedom to the individuals in the studio. Then having the pleasure of working for him and his company you just go even deeper into that. And, and um, I mean, there are a number of, of, of things, stories, things we could talk about, but that creative, um, by the time I got into the company, it was already the well-known Frankfurt Ballet. It wasn't 10 years or 12 years prior to that where, you know, there were still people leaving the audience because they weren't sure exactly what they were seeing. I mean, this was a time when the company had reached its this kind of echelon, but Bill was constantly researching. One of my first creations, um, so I had just left the National Ballet. We went to Paris and we... Um, did we, you leave the National Ballet to go and join I did, Frankfurt? and halfway through the year. Okay. Yeah. So, so you were with the National Ballet for, for four, almost four years. Almost four years. I saw those performances of Second Detail. I remember that. I remember the... Yeah. the the boldness of commissioning that work and, mm-hmm. and the incredible excitement about mm-hmm. Forsyth being in town. I think I was working in, in um, at Harborfront at the time, and I believe yeah. he came to see a performance there. Yeah. might have been DVH yeah. or something yeah. like that, but I think he came to see. Yeah. Which makes me think, I was just um, thinking about Harborfront at that time when I was at the National Ballet School, that we had subscriptions, obviously, to see everything that the National was doing, but it was also the compliment of going to Harborfront and seeing the incredible contemporary and modern dance series that was going on there as a student that really was helping me develop my understanding of what was possible in the dance world so yes i mean bill second detail he actually changed the work then once he actually took it over to the frankfurt but all this to say when i left and 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 halfway through the year the first performance i did with the frankfurt ballet was um herman schmerman in paris and sylvie gam was guesting with us oh my god which was lovely um and it was it was actually that was such an incredible learning experience for me too because here was someone who i'd seen you know in videos and just this this was this kind of iconic figure and there she was dancing with us, and she would do the Herman Pas, she'd perform it, and then she'd stay and watch the rest of the show because she was so curious to learn. And I thought, wow, that just really cemented to me this, this, under, this idea of um, people wanting to develop even when they've reached such a, an understanding of a certain area of their career. So it was a huge inspiration. The next creation I did, or the next work I did with Bill was a piece called Self Meant to Govern, which became the beginning part of Eidos Telos, which I believe we performed in Montreal. That's right, uh, during uh, the fine, during yes, the Festival of Nouvelle Dance. Exactly. Yes, I saw that. And it was eight weeks with eight women in a studio with Bill, and we went through every improvisational modality that Bill had been discovering and, and developing over the 10, 12 years that he had been with the company. And the piece was completely improvisational, 45 minutes. We had an alphabet from A to Z, which was a variety of different, like A was for Abraham Lincoln, who looked over the wrong and was shot, the the row. And so there were movements to A to Z. And then then we had a number of, we had graphics on the side. 
and we had dat times. And so coming out of dat times like a timer a, a, on your arm. We had like yeah, like at ten minutes and forty, I had to be over on stage left, and then but at that moment, once I I was actually there, I had to then make my decision. I had to work with either an improvisational modality, you know, fragmentation or avoidance, plus one of the I had to dis, I had to govern myself within that moment. So coming out of um coming out of the National Ballet, it was a huge change or shift for me. At that point, I didn't know where front was anymore, where the center <laughs> was. Everything I thought I had learned, I knew was essential to me being able to be there at that moment, but I also knew that I had to be able to throw it up in the air and let it go. And that was, and I was about 20. So I felt like I was starting from the beginning. I felt like I was doing my PhD. I, the world was completely turning on me. And so the next five years with Bill was tremendous. I mean, I remember. Did it, did it, did it make you frightened? Did oh, absolutely. You, yeah. Absolutely. Frightened. Did you go home at the end of every rehearsal day and just think, what the heck am I doing? Absolutely. I, I knew imagine. that I, because I was still at such a fragile age where I was still developing myself and I had was just starting to feel like I had gotten into my professional career and then the the floor shifted on me completely. But you obviously were attracted enough to him to make the leap to move from Toronto all the way to Frankfurt to work with this man. Absolutely. I mean, I knew when I was 17 and I applied for the wonderful travel grants that were available from the Canada Council and I had my backpack and I was going around seeing Pina Bausch and Paris Opera and Stuttgart Ballet and the Frankfurt Ballet for the first time and I was just being exposed to this incredible world of dance. I knew that I would be in Europe at some point. Um, and hopefully then be coming back to Canada. So when I made it to Frankfurt and I was in a part of this, I knew it was essential, but it was a huge learning curve. And it, I remember one of my first rehearsals watching the company do a run-through. I watched these dancers in the company, and Kathy, I couldn't tell you where something began or where it ended. It was, And that's when I knew I was, I was participating in, in something great because it was I could not trace where the idea was coming from. And I, and what Bill is fascinated with, and where I think his his legacy right now in dance is the fact that he is completely enthralled with physical thinking and the inv- the invisible space. It's n- Let let's just let's just wrap up this this part of your career a little mm-hmm. bit, just so I, I, I I'm all of this feeds so many questions mm-hmm. about working with Forsyth, working as a dancer, working as a choreographer. You stayed with Bill for five years. Yes. And during that time, of course, you were there at this huge peak. You probably toured all over the world. Absolutely, yeah. And um, what made you decide to leave? (laughs) It it seems so ideal. Absolutely. I thought I was insane. And I think think even Bill thought (laughs) thought I was was a bit insane. Were you there at the same time as Crystal? Crystal I was there just before. And I remember Crystal. I had actually not met the lovely Crystal, but, um, but she phoned me one day and said, I'm Crystal. I dance with Ballet BC. You know John. Could I come stay with you? I'd like to audition for the Frankfurt Ballet. And I said, absolutely. And so that was my first kind of introduction to Crystal. And then she stayed on after me for a few years. Right. But um, So you're there. It's the peak of the company. It's the peak it, of the company. Bill's in demand everywhere. And absolutely. Emily Molnar decides, okay, time to make a different move. Yeah. So take us back to that moment. It was something that was brewing in me because Bill was also starting to slightly discuss this idea of a smaller company, which now obviously is the Foresight, um, Foresight, Foresight company. company, yes. But it was um, it was just kind of trickling the idea, and he was going around asking those, some of us to stay on or not. And, and I thought, you know, if I stay on, I will be here for the rest of my career. I knew I could feel that. And there was something in me going, I think I need to do something on my own. But I really was challenged, Kathy, with, I was 25, I was like, or 20, yeah, 25, turning 26. I thought, I'm, this is, I should be staying here. This is, I mean, there, this is the peak of, this is a phenomenal company. I had no doubt about the value and what I could, I could 
still, there was so much I still needed to learn and I could participate in, but something was pulling me to branch out on my own and I needed to listen to that. But I actually went through a period where I thought I was going to quit. Um, and quit stu- dancing? Comple- yeah, completely, mm-hmm. and study anthropology. That's So I actually went... There's your father's voice. That's you know, right. <laughs> do something serious with your life. <laughs> well, I think I had some really big questions going on, like, am I able to translate and dance? Can I really make a big enough difference in the world through dance? And so a lot of my... The next part of my life was being pushed by those questions. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca forward slash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.